0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from
1: across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson.
0: Three, two, one, and it is Thursday Thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully, everybody's having a great week. I'm pretty excited. I got Thursday to work and a half a day on Friday. I think I'm going to be taking some PTO so I can get a head start on the staycation fishing trip. Uh, Pretty excited for that. Weather's supposed to be absolutely awesome. And the father-in-law tells me that the fish are biting really good and uh hopefully that continues through the rest of this week and into this weekend pretty excited about that it's mother's day weekend so be sure to buy your wife or your baby mama uh, a gift because moms are important and uh or and your mom or your stepmom whoever be sure to uh Buy them some flowers or some chocolates, or if they're into bow hunting gear, buy them some broadheads or whatever. You know, <laughs> that would be a pretty kick ass Mother's Day gift if, uh, in fact, your mother loved bow hunting or your wife or whatever. Anyway. Today's podcast is kind of another extension of a podcast that we did a while back. And uh, the title of that podcast was called Shop Talk. And today we talk with another bow tech from a different bow shop. And uh, today, David Engel from Ames, Iowa, talks about, man, just a variety of stuff. We cover releases, we cover form, we cover tuning and we we get in really deep into the tuning aspect of it we even start talking about you know how to twist the strings to adjust cam timing we talk about cam shims we talk about a variety of things that may help you just become a better overall archer and uh for bow hunting that's a big thing so uh there's that now before we get into today's podcast we talked with a gentleman, Todd Mano, I think is how you pronounce his name. Todd, Todd Manog, Manag, Managa, i going to work here anymore. It's actually Todd Manji. And uh, Todd talks to us a little bit about why he likes his Exodus trail cameras.
2: Sure. Uh, I bought a uh, Exodus camera in October and uh, was very excited to use it. Uh, I've got a lease that's four and a half hours away in southwest Wisconsin, so uh, obviously I'm not going to drive down there a couple times a week just to check cameras. And I was looking for something that was dependable, and uh, it just lived up to the name and was very excited about uh, about just everything that Exodus was touted to be. Uh, got down after the camera had been up probably a couple weekends and uh, found that, as usual, per everybody that's had a trail camera, no, uh, no pictures were taken uh, for that time. A um, little bit frustrating. Probably figured it was user error, but uh, in reading the Exodus website, there was a number that said text to this number, and somebody from our company will get a hold of you uh, Saturday afternoon, late October. Thinking, okay, well, nobody's going to call me back till Monday, but. Um, anyway, I did text that number and within an hour I had a phone call back and it was one of the owners. I don't remember which one, but, uh, was really gracious, uh, talked me through, you know, what did I, what happened, what was going on. And, uh, you know, just gave me some pointers, kind of walked me through it. I wasn't in the field at the time when he called me, but, uh, I did what he said to do. Um, it was a formatting issue on my end. I probably just didn't hit the right number of buttons. But uh, the fact that on a Saturday in October, you've got the owner of the company calling you, I'm sure that uh, as avid deer hunters, he wanted to be in the deer stand as much as I did. Um, it just says a lot about the company that they're they're willing to call somebody and uh, work through whatever problems they could have. And uh, it just that says a lot to me. And as a business owner myself, I just know that uh, customers depend on, uh, you know, they're depending on a company when they buy some stuff. So Uh, just the fact that they can do that is that just says a lot for them.
0: All right. If you guys want to find out more information about Exodus trail cameras by now, it should be ingrained in your head. Go to ExodusOutdoorgear.com And when you do decide to purchase one of their trail cameras, be sure to enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And you will receive $20 off of your trail camera purchase. So, there's that. Now let's get into today's Hunter profile. It's not a Hunter profile. What am I doing? It's a Shop Talk episode. I guess that's just uh I don't know why I did that. Anyway, Shop Talk episode with David Ingle. Mr. David Ingle, how are you doing today? Good. I'm doing great. How are you, Dan? I uh, I can't complain. We had a really good uh st- we had a good storm system come through Iowa. Let's see south southeast Iowa today and all this the uh social media was blown up with all these pictures of tornadoes and that tornado went really close by uh the farm that I hunt and so I called the landowner and I was just like uh everything. Okay. Down there. And she had no clue what was, go- what was going on. And, uh, she's like, I didn't see any tornado. I was doing chores and not paying attention. And meanwhile, there's a tornado within a mile of her house. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, so I called her up she was okay. It doesn't seem like there's any damage on the farm. And, uh, the deer live to tell or live, live for another day. But uh, before we get, see today we're going to talk just probably about a variety of stuff. You work in an archery shop and you are currently a bow tech for that archery shop. And you've been setting up your friend's bows and you've been setting up all types of equipment for your friends and family for four or five years now. And uh, we're going to get into all of this archery portion. We're going to talk about releases and form and rests and sights and stabilizers. And we're going to talk about archery part of bow hunting tonight. But before we get into all that, from a hunting standpoint, how was your 2016 season? Um, pretty depressing,
1: if I'm being honest. I mean, uh, being a student, um, it's a little bit difficult um, to get as much time as you want um, in the woods, obviously. Um, with classes and everything, but, um, buck tag remained in the pocket the whole year. Um was fortunate enough to fill a, fill a doe tag. Um, nice. But overall, I mean, it went all right. Um, coming in, not really expecting to uh, be able to put a whole lot of time in the stand. So, um, yeah. you know,
0: can't complain too much. Right, right. So as a student, uh, what are you going to school for?
1: Uh, right now I'm studying um, in the college of ag and life sciences, okay. um, as a general ag major at Iowa state. Okay. Um, you know, studying all aspects of agronomy,
0: um, and animal science, stuff like that. Gotcha. So where do you see yourself going after college? What, like if you had a dream job, what's your dream job?
1: Dream job? Uh, shoot. Um, you know, I've kind of been looking into uh custom planning, um, food plots kind of around the area in Iowa. Uh, maybe down in Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, kinda along there. Um okay. whether that started as part time or full time and you know, working somewhere else. Um yeah, something like that. It's kinda what okay. I'm looking at.
0: Now let's let's go back to the real world for a second. Um, yeah. right out of college. Uh what kind of what kind of jobs does that degree get you? Um, with the
1: degree, I mean that's pretty broad, especially living in the state of Iowa. Um, you could do anything as far as, um, being a, a banker for farmers, um, you know, all the way up to, to being a farmer yourself. Um, yep. a lot of guys are, are going into it, um, working for their family on the family farm and stuff and just looking to gain a little bit of knowledge to go back and, uh, maybe help that out. Um, anyone that knows farming right now in prices, uh, knows that, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of money in it. Um, yeah. so I've been mean, looking to, to be as efficient as they can and, Um, sending your kids to college to kind of, you know, get a different look on stuff. Um, Definitely something worth looking into.
0: Yeah. So do you come from uh, a farming family then?
1: Um, Not directly. Um, I I helped out for farmer um, uh, growing up and stuff. And uh, my family uh, bought over some land from um, great grandpa and, um, he used to farm it back in the day, but um, since then we're a generation removed from directly family farming. Okay. Um, uh, we still raise a little bit of uh, grain sorghum ourselves, but uh, you know, not directly related to uh, corn sorghum rotations, which uh, most people are familiar with. Driving um, right. around anywhere in the Midwest. Gotcha.
0: What part of the state are you from?
1: Uh, just north of Des Moines. So right okay. in the middle.
0: Yeah. All right. So is there good deer hunting there or do you travel, uh, a little bit further for, to bow hunt? Uh, no, mostly,
1: hunt? uh, it's, it's hunting, um, family's ground, um, or, uh, up in Ames, there's, um, quite a bit of public ground, not too far from here is what I, uh, mainly hunted this year, um, and figured out the, the challenges, challenges of that and, uh, <laughs> you know, competing for, for access and everything. And, One thing I learned is never think that, um, there, you know, you see a a good spot. Don't think that there's not 10 other people that have walked by there and,
0: and think the same thing. Right. Right. So is that public ground uh, around you get pounded pretty hard then? Oh yeah. Especially, um,
1: with the college in the Midwest where there's a lot of, a lot of people that hunt there. Um, and pretty much no one has their own private ground there and, uh, I mean private ground's pretty hard to get access to in in Iowa um so i mean the the one tract of public ground we have there gets gets hammered pretty hard by students and you know uh um, anyone hanging around the area that doesn't have access to to uh private ground and uh, and in the area you know it's it's pretty flat once you get north of Des Moines right. um not a lot of not real heavily wooded um so the areas that are get get hounded pretty heavy
0: okay. Cool. So kind of a shitty season then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you can say that. Did you get out turkey hunting at all?
1: Um actually uh went to Nebraska um about a okay. month ago. Um yeah, me and a couple buddies went out there. Um didn't end up punching a tag, um but we I mean we saw tons of birds and um just kinda got a different different feel of hunting, um than you
0: know, just in central Iowa. Right. But it was fun. Nice. All right, so you work at a bow shop, right? Yep. All right, why don't you go ahead and shout out the name of the bow shop? Get this guy some free press.
1: Yeah, yeah. I work at Jack's Outdoor Gear um, in Ames, Iowa. We have a full-service archery shop, a 20-yard indoor range, um, and we also sell a number of outdoor supplies uh, from guns, camping gear, um, athletic gear, stuff like that. and it is a chain store. We're the only one in Iowa. The rest of our uh, stores are out in Colorado. though. But oh, okay. we do have a yep full service archery shop there. So uh, you know anything anything archery related, we can handle it. Okay.
0: Now, how how old are you right now? Twenty one years old. Twenty one years old. Okay. So, and you've been working at that store for a year and a half, roughly, right?
1: yep i started uh when I moved up to Ames um which is last oh it was January of 2016 um, right around the first of the years when I started there
0: okay and uh before that before working at this bow shop uh how many years like when when did you start tinkering with bows on your own um probably
1: started uh started uh, messing around with my bow. Um, when I was about 16, 17 years old, um, back in high school. Um, would go kind of hang around the local archery shop um, in Des Moines and um, picked up a lot of information from guys down there, um, started using equipment and um, tinkering my own bow, figuring out what, you know, a twist in the cable here does to, uh, you know, my timing here. Um, and, I mean, there's there a lot of guys along the way that, that help you out. And that's a good thing about the archery community is, you know, everyone's willing to, to help out a new guy. It seems like. Right.
0: Okay. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about is something that you just mentioned and uh, we'll kind of go all over the place uh, with this conversation. But the goal is to try to have, um, share some of your knowledge from working at a bow shop with the listeners of this podcast. Now I want to talk about this, adding twists, taking twists out of the string, uh, and mm-hmm. how that affects, uh, the bow. Cause I've, I've heard people talk about it and to be honest with you, I really am not sure what it actually does. So can you explain what, maybe why you would want to take a twist out or put a twist in your, you know, in your cable?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll kind of take an aspect of, uh, as far as, uh, cam timing. Um, so, um, your cables are what, what's going to control your, your timing. Um, and, uh, say you got a top cam that's hitting a little bit ahead of your, your bottom cam and it's, it's kind of giving you some weird arrow flight. Um, so, I mean, the, the biggest way you can see that's happening is either, uh, put it in a draw or a, a draw board. Um, and that'll, I mean, it's got a crank on it that'll draw your bow back for you. Um, so you can see what your cams are doing, um, as you, as you pull that back, um, either do that or have a buddy watch you draw, draw your bow back and you'll be able to tell, um, if, if one of your cams is hitting your, your cable before the other, um, a lot of the times bows like, uh, like to tune, um, with the cam sitting dead even. So say your top cam's hitting a little bit ahead, um, toss your bow in a bow press and, um, you're going to have a control cable, which comes down to your bottom cam. Um, and you'll want to put a twist into that, um, take it back out and hopefully that advances your bottom cam enough to where they're going to be hitting about the same. Um, okay. and you know, obviously vice
0: versa for, you know, so your top cam's behind, um, throw a twist in the top. Right. So is that how you fix cams not, uh, being in sync with each other?
1: Uh, yeah, On 99% of both. Um, there is, uh, you know, a few other ways, like um, Elite and Prime are kind of unique with uh, how they utilize a, a limb stop versus a cable stop. Um, right. So on each each cam, you can adjust um, where that uh, limb stop sits. Um, so if you don't have access to a bow press at the time, kind of the, uh, the easy fix is moving that um, limb stop where it's just it's hitting the same as, as the other cam versus putting it in a press um, and and putting twists in your cable.
0: Okay, so with a bow that has a limb stop, let's say they're because limb stops are on the cam, correct? Correct. Yeah. Right. So and then there's little holes to adjust where where that is. Um, now, is there Do you, do you want to adjust the limb stop or do you want to adjust the string and put twists in it for the best accuracy is, uh, is there one way that's better than the other? Um,
1: not necessarily. I mean, it's going to boil down to, um, your particular bow. Um, but, um, say like I, I shot my prime this year for Turkey season and, uh, the way I shot that was, um, um, and on the cams you can adjust um, adjusting those limb stops. Going to change your let off percentage, um, mm-hmm. and for hunting I like to have a, a little bit higher let off. Um, so those cams you're able to get up to 85% let off, and that's with your limb stops all the way back at your cam. Okay. Um, so they're they're going to utilize the um, the longest draw length possible, um, which gives you the more more let off. Um, so moving those around is going to change your let off a little bit. Um, so I like to, uh, on my prime anyways, I would, uh, slide them all the way to the back. And if the cams were out of sync from there, I would start putting twists into my cable.
0: All right. Now, what about bows that don't have, uh, limb stops? Is that just, it it goes right back to uh, trying to put twists in the string?
1: Right, yeah, because uh, most bows that have uh, cable stops, you're not going to be able to slide that peg around. Um, So it's all going to be twisting your cables to get that, get it all synchronized up. And some bows, like I've had a few Hoyts that don't like um, to be tuned with them hitting exactly the same. Um, like I had a nitron turbo and that tuned best with my top cam hitting just a hair in front of my bottom cam. And I had a spider turbo that like the bottom cam hitting a little bit ahead. Um, and my defiant, um, I shot that both cams hitting exactly the same. So it, it varies bow to bow, um, depending on which specific model, um, draw length cam and everything you have.
0: So listening to you say that, um, uh makes me think of some engineering questions and I don't know whether you can answer this or not but for a bow that is dual has dual cams I've, I would assume that if during your draw right you want both the top and the bottom cam doing the same exact thing so that when you release at the same exact time they are firing you know that arrow at the most efficient speed possible right right and that
1: that's uh, pretty much true for a, you know kind of like a binary cam system um where the cams are shaped exactly the same um right. whether it be top bottom um and a lot of times even the left and right-handed models their cams are um, almost identical um right and th- those ones like to utilize um the cams hitting exactly the same time um, whereas you take something like a Hoyt um, where the cams are shaped a little bit different and the mods are shaped a little bit different on top and bottom, um, they okay. might like to tune a little little bit funky um, versus you know something with the with the binary cam system.
0: Gotcha. So on the uh, the Hoyts that you mentioned, where uh, the top and bottom were were a little off as far as timing is concerned, those cams were different. They weren't the exact same, right? correct yeah okay all right cool all right so then you know what happens if you have some problem you know you're you're trying to tune your bow um first off okay first off I got all these ideas rolling in my head so I'm starting to stutter right so I better I got to do a better job of staying calm and just asking the questions all right so let's say you've you know you're adjusting the the, you know you put a couple twists in you're trying to get your cams to fire at the same time and it's not working and you're still having issues with your arrow being sporadic and that's given that your rest is set up where it needs to be right so we've still identified identified that it is a a timing issue what else can a guy do to get those cams to fire at the same time, or uh, you get get your bow better tuned.
1: Um, yeah. So there's there's a couple of different things. Um,
0: so I, I like to
1: start out um, whenever I'm tuning a bow. I'll start out with the cams synchronized exactly. You know, hitting dead nuts at the same time. Um, I'll start out with my arrow ninety degrees from the string, um, running through the middle of the burger buttonhole. Um, and kind of as a, a general. Um, um, then after that, um, I'll move to, uh, you know, uh, paper tuning, um, after, um, draw length inspect, uh, brace height, uh, axle, axle, all that's in the spec. And, um, say cams are synced and we're still getting weird tears. Um, a lot of the times that's something you can, uh, take out with yoke tuning. Um, if you've got it, like in a Hoyt, um, your top cam is going to have a yoke cable, um, where it kind of splits off. Um, and connects on the outside of your axles on the cam there, and you can, um, twist, uh, either side of those is going to control your arrow flight a little bit. Um, kind of fine tuning, um, um, your, your tears through paper. Um, and, and that's one way you can do that. Um, another thing is, is like I said, um, kind of messing around with, uh, putting your top cam ahead of your bottom cam, um kind of that sort of thing. Um, then uh, another thing you can do, um, like on elites, um, Matthews primes, um, you can, uh, shim out your cams, which is kind of like yoke tuning. Um, it's tuning the, the way your cam leans at full draw. Um, that requires, uh, taking your, uh, bow into a press, taking your strings and cables off, um, sliding your cam out. Then there's little spacers inside of there. Um, that are all different thicknesses and stuff um, right. so you can swap those around um, to get your cam leaning a different way and sometimes that'll take care of it um, like even on the Lloyd's um, 2016, their Defiant line uh, when it first came out their bottom cam was having um, some of the models were having issues where it would lean on your draw cycle and, uh, and hit the, the cable um, but with a lot of our bows that were doing that in the shop we would uh, just take that out and flopped the spacers around, um, which gave you a little more clearance there. Um, and kind of took that out of play, um, which would have led to, um, cable wear down the line, which could be essentially, uh, you know, hazardous, especially if you're out in the field and you got a worn cable that severs and now your bow's out of use or
0: out of uh, commission. All right. So I'm the guy, right. Who I, I buy a bow. I get my sight, I get my rest, I get my arrows, uh, and I I take it to the shop to do right. I don't have a bow press, mm-hmm. uh, I don't do a lot of my own work. I take it to a, a bow tech and have them do that work. You mentioned something yeah. about about yokes, um, and that's one thing that we haven't talked a lot about on this on this podcast. What is a a yoke? What does it do, and how does that particular part? effect accuracy? Yeah. um,
1: So your yoke is going to be on something like a a Hoyt or uh, like a Bowtech, um, something like that, that uses a um, a yoke cable where it connects to the axle outside of your limbs um, on your top cam on like a Hoyt or on like a Bowtech. It'll be on both sides. And um, that controls your your cam lean, um, whether it be at static or full draw. Um, and twisting those um, will affect um, how that sits at full draw, which will affect how your arrow comes off um, in small increments anyways. Um, so if you're getting um, a weird tear and, um, you know, your center shot's in the spec, everything's in spec, um, but you're getting a little bit of cam lean, um, a lot of times um, yoke tuning, that's, 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 that's what's going to be uh, taking that little tear out or that little um, imperfection in your
0: arrow flight. So not every bow has a yoke on it, right?
1: Right, yeah, like uh okay. some of the new Matthews, um, like the halons, um, no cams, stuff like that don't have yokes. Um uh, let's see elites don't, um primes don't. Um they they all use a kinda like a like prime and elite are binary um versus you know, Hoyt's cam and a half, um
0: stuff like that okay okay, so now you you also mentioned something about cam lean what is what is cam lean more specifically
1: yeah so uh cam lean is gonna be um the relationship of how your cam sits compared to the uh perfect up and down of your string um and a lot how I do this is uh um I'll take a an arrow and lay it flat against my cam um so it's running right up and down my string and right. if the arrow crosses over your string anywhere that's going to show your cam lean
0: okay all right yeah
1: so i mean that that controls um a little
0: bit of left and right um and you'll see this near tears so if your cams aren't perfectly center to me i'm i would assume that when you get your bow it should be made to not have cam lean, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it'll come preset
1: straight up and down and there, there's certain cases. Um, maybe it's, it's a quality control issue or something didn't get set exactly right or string stretched in the box. Um, if it was really hot during shipping and, and your, your strings or cable stretched a little bit and it'll be off that so you need to take it out. But you know, nine times out of 10,
0: it'll come straight up and down. Gotcha. All right, then if it's not, and you mentioned something about shims, right? You got to take the entire cam off and put little what washers or what? What are those? What's a, what's a Bosch or a cam shim?
1: Yeah, they're they're pretty much little uh, little polymer washers or spacers that sit in between your cam and your limb. And
0: uh, they sit around your your axle. Okay. So that to me seems like some pretty technical, you know, very detailed tuning things. Are are is all that stuff necessary if you want to be, uh, I guess, just r- accurate? And I don't. I'm not talking about professional archer accurate. I'm talking about thirty yards from a tree stand accurate.
1: I would say no, it it wouldn't be necessary just for your average bow hunter that wants to go out and be able to, you know, nail a, a pie plate at 30, 40 yards, something like that. You know, messing yeah. with shims is, is probably getting a little too in depth, um, for, okay. for those purposes. Right.
0: But if your bow is not accurate, insert some of these aspects, you know, whether it's cam lean or your cams aren't firing at the same time or, you know, some of the other things that, that we mentioned. Your bow is less efficient, meaning it could be loud, right? Or it could be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It could be loud and you could be losing power, correct? Yeah, in some cases, yeah, you could be. All right. So then... Okay, so that, that pretty much takes care of the draw cycle. Is there anything else as far as cams or limbs or string that a guy needs to be looking at if uh, he wants to get more detailed about his draw cycle and accuracy?
1: Yeah, actually, um, the strings and cable set, uh, it, I mean, it's what we've been talking about this whole time, and a, a really nice quality of, quality set of custom strings can go a long way so like once you get everything set a uh a stock string and set or stock stock string and cable uh, might stretch a little bit like uh, you know being in and out of, of the elements heat cold um a lot of times guys will leave it in their car which can uh play with the strings and cables stretching it and you'll your cams will come out of tune or you're out of synchronization something like that and uh and that nice set of custom string and cables uh, can go a long way as far as
0: uh being more consistent and uh you know firing the same every time right so the strings that come on a bow you know obviously a company has to try to make money and uh you know they can't put the highest dollar string on their bow you know that i don't know as far i guess the bow string do they sacrifice there as far as uh price is concerned? I mean, I would think that as a general consumer, right, I, I, I would assume that it's the best string on the market. I mean, a guy doesn't buy a Ferrari and then change the rims out on it most of the time anyway. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, the the sets that are coming nowadays are better than they were uh, three or four years ago, which were better than they were uh, 10 years ago. Um, right. I hear stories of of guys that had, you know, like a Hoyt ten fifteen years ago, and the strings and cables that came on it, they were scared to pull it back just because they looked like they were in that bad of shape. But uh, anymore, they're they're not too bad. Um, they they definitely don't put as much uh, time and effort into their strings and cables as they do. Like a uh, obviously their bows and machining and making sure everything like that's fine. They're right. Their strings and cables are kind of kind of an afterthought. It seems like. Okay. But they're de- definitely not as bad as they used to be. Uh, I still think a, a custom set, um, you know, whether that be something that a shop makes or you order from a big company like Winner's Choice, they're just going to put a little more detail into it um, than than
0: you know a, a bow manufacturer would be. Right. So, what do I get? Let's say I decide to put uh, a set of custom strings on my bow. What? about a set of custom strings makes my bow operate better at a higher efficiency.
1: Yeah. So most of them are coming pre-stretched. Um, so that means, um, once, once they're on your bow, they're going to be, uh, I guess, how do I word this? They're going to be used in a way, uh, not necessarily used, but they're not going to, there's not going to be as big of a break in period to them. Okay. Whereas you take something that's not stretched, you're going to put them on there um, and it's going to take a number of shots to get the, uh, the fibers uh, where they need to be um, in, in their top performing shape. And every string and cable set's going to have a, a minor break-in period. The ones that are are more pre-stretched and they take more time building them, the break-in period is going to be less. And then they're once they're in that break or after that break-in period, they're going to hold that form a little bit better than say uh stock string and, string cable set or something that was um of lesser quality that you put on there maybe you, your cams will come out of time something like that
0: all right so then uh does a custom set of strings also i mean will that do anything to increase your uh speed aero fl- aero speed
1: you can depending on depending on the type of material they put on there um, a lot of, a lot of companies anymore, they're putting BCYX X material or BCY 452 material, um, uh, which is, is really diving, you know, kind of deep into tuning and, and that kind of aspect that, you know, most target archers are looking into and not, maybe not necessarily your average bow hunter, um, wants to dive that deep into it. Um, but like different fibers are going to give you different speeds, um, some are going to be more forgiving, some are going to be more consistent than others um, but anymore um, most of the the fibers are going to be pretty high quality that they're they're thrown in custom sets or stock stock sets
0: All right anything else about uh strings or cables or cams or whatever
1: um yeah, I mean the coolest thing you can do with the, the new set of strings and cables is is change the color up on your boat too just to make that's, it that's, look cool yeah that's i mean that's what i'd say most people are, are changing them for as far as like a hunting aspect they just want that uh you know a different different color look on their bow
0: yeah i gotcha i thought about that uh because this yeah. year i have uh this year i have a gearhead bow and it's black i got a ripcord arrow rest it's all black uh i'm gonna mm-hmm. have a I think right now I'm going to go with an HHA sight that's, for the most part, all black other than, you know, some green on it, uh, and I'm probably going to go with a very small stabilizer. Uh, I may not need it after it's all set up, but uh, if I do, it's going to be all black, but I thought it'd be cool to get, a like, a red string on that bow. I think that would kind of be cool.
1: Yeah, I mean that kind of seems like the the popular color to go with on a on a black bow is either accent that with like all red or or red and red and black twist something like that. You can, yeah. I mean, you get most sets you get two color options on there, so you can you know throw whatever you want.
0: Cool. All right, so there's that. Now you mentioned to me you're like these next two kind of topics they they go hand in hand, right? You got your release. Releases and your form, right? And, they, and in a way, they kind of go hand in hand. And you, you told me, hey, man, I could sit here and talk about releases and form for an hour each. So we don't have an hour to do that. But I do want to touch on releases because you mentioned that uh, we had a guest on a while ago who talked briefly about releases. And you mentioned that uh, you, you had something that maybe you would like to add to that conversation
1: yeah he uh he briefly touched on uh back tension releases um and you know anti anti-punch releases um that are helping people helping guys that struggle in a target panic um whether that be on paper targets 3d targets um or even you know they got buck fever in the woods and they just can't get their pin on it and uh i've actually been shooting the uh the new release that John Dudley came out with called the knock on the silverback and it's a completely tension activated release. So there's, there's no trigger on it whatsoever. So it, it kind of gets people away from, from punching the trigger, um, which is going to help you hold your pin steady because with those, uh, the, the way it works is, is, um, once you're at full draw, you're pulling with your back muscles and your shoulder muscles, which, which sets off the release at, uh, a preset poundage over your holding weight, so yeah. the only way to hit the target is is if you're holding that pin on there, uh, which helps guys if they they've got trouble and they're freezing below the target where they're they can't get their pin to come up something and their brain's telling them they they don't want to cover up that target with their pin, whether they they just want to know that target's there. Or, I mean, a lot of the times it's a hundred percent subconscious and you don't know why why you're doing it, but you just can't get that that pin on there, but that that tension activated release is is trying to help people uh, hit the target because there's no way to hit the target if you're not holding your pin on it.
0: So how does that specific release work? Right. Is how do you, for example, uh, I got a little sheet when I got my gearhead bow, right. And it had the guy who tested it and he did, he did three different draws on that bow measured the poundage and it was like seventy-two point one, seventy-two point four, seventy-two point six, or some, or three, or something like that, right? So it was all really close, from a you know a tenth of a pound type of you know difference. And the average of it was seventy-two point two pounds, I think it was. And how do you then take that release and say, okay? Obviously the max draw on that is seventy two point two. How do you change your release to go off at seventy three? Uh so
1: so the way it works is uh it's it's actually gonna come into play with your your holding weight, not necessarily your draw weight. So when you're when you're drawing that release there's a, a safety on it which is located where like a normal thumb trigger would be. So when you're drawing that you hold down your thumb trigger. Um and then when you're when you're at full draw and you're kind of settled into where you want to be, you got your anchor point settled uh pin floating over the target, looking through your peep, you let off of that safety and that's when you start pulling and pulling and pulling, and then it'll go off um and ha- and how you set that is that there's a little spring inside of there, and you either twist that spring down or loosen it up uh, to where you want to where you want that release to to go off at, and it'll take a little bit of playing around with it with your specific bow especially if you don't have a a bow scale handy that you can look and see exactly what your holding weight is. Um, and, and then you can, so how I did mine is, is anyways, when I, when I took it out of the package and it let off that safety at full draw, it went right away without me pulling it. So that tells me I need to move the, the release weight up a little bit. I kind of like it between three and four pounds above my holding weight. So I can't just, quickly snap and shoot it, which would be kind of like punching the trigger. I kind of have to work it, pulling it, and keep my form and keep my pin floating over the target versus, yeah. uh, I mean, kind of snap shooting it like you would with any sort of trigger release.
0: Okay. And that is that is specifically designed for target panic or it helps with target panic? Well, it is kind of designed to help,
1: help the guys that are, are suffering from it uh, to get their kind of for- focus more on their form and and holding versus aiming and, and squeezing that trigger as soon as your pin comes across that target. Because with those, you're going to have to spend a little more time at full draw um, watching that pin float. And so you, you can't exactly punch it as soon as your pin comes across the target, um, which is a lot of times called drive-by shooting. Um, yeah. a lot of guys, as soon as that pin covers up the outer edge of the target, they want to reach at that release and, and punch it. So their arrow goes off. They don't have to sit anymore.
0: That full draw, they're just not comfortable holding mm-hmm. that pin over that target. Right. Right. I think I do that a lot. I think I get into less of a, you know, a dead stop on my form, but I'm always moving a little bit, whether I'm coming down on the, the target or I'm coming up on the target you know, uh, my location where I'm trying to, and I think that that's part. I think I have a little bit of target panic as well, but I think that's part of some of my inaccuracy problems.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in and in a big way, you can uh, kind of bring out bring out the target panic is is go take a, a blank veil target, nothing, no circles on it or whatever, and um, just kind of watch how your pin's floating, and if you want to kind of even with the the middle of that target as soon as your pin gets to the middle of that target if you still want to kind of punch at it and and grab at it i mean that's kind of one of the indicators of of target panic and you kind of kind of got to sit there and and work at it
0: right and, and what specifically do you work at what are you what are you trying to accomplish
1: the goal with that is is to get an unanticipated shot off um so you're not flinching at the the target uh, and right. a lot of I can I can kind of relate that to shooting a gun. Um, so you take like a you know a, a gun that's magazine fed, and you throw three bullets in there. You shoot your first one, shoot your second one, shoot your third one, um, and say you you didn't know there's only three in there, and you go to shoot your fourth one, and you kind of lean into it, um, flinch at the shot. That's kind of kind of the same thing what you would be doing with the with pulling the trigger on the on the bow because with that rifle you're even though you might not notice it, when you're shooting you're still flinching at it. And then you can you can see that when you're you're firing a, a blank chamber. Um you know, kinda kinda about the same thing as, as punching the, the trigger on a bow. Right.
0: So I currently shoot a wrist release, right? And uh, I was talking with a guy who was tuning his bow uh, this past week on Friday, and he said that Typically, guys, they go from a, a wrist trigger release to a thumb release, then to a back tension release. Is is there a need for a thumb release? Or if guys are looking to make a transition, should they just, because she told me, skip the thumb release and go straight to the uh, back tension release?
1: Yeah, that's, that would be my personal recommendation. I, I feel like the, the back tension release is an awesome training aid that. Um you can use that in with say uh you know, a thumb trigger or a, a wrist rocket, a ri- wrist release and um let me kinda go back and forth between the two. Like with my, my shooting, I'll start out with my, my knock on silverback, the the back tension release and um I'll shoot a couple of rounds with that just to kinda you know, make sure my form's still intact, I'm not doing anything. Then I'll move to my thumb release. Uh, which is I'm shooting the the knock to it from from knock on and card it right now, and those two are kind of made to to go hand in hand. Uh, the only thing you got to work or worry about going between a a back tension release and a an index finger release is your anchor points are gonna change um, depending on the re- release slightly, right. which can yeah. lead to uh, your peep sight being a little off or uh, you know minor. Uh, uh, accuracy issues as far as um, being up or down a little ways.
0: Okay. Uh, so, where where do those I guess average typical anchor points where are those for a wrist release, a thumb release, and then a back tension release?
1: Yeah, so on uh, any, any bow, any release you're trying to get that string to come across the tip of your nose and then a lot of times, depending on the axle axle of your bow, that's coming across the corner of your mouth with a hunting bow, uh, that's a little bit shorter axle axle versus the target bow is going to come a little in front of the corner of your mouth. And um, how you get that a lot of times with your hand, um, say let's take a, a handheld release like a, a back tension or a or a thumb trigger, and where you, where you're anch- anchoring is your Index finger and your middle finger are gonna kind of create a V on that handle there, and you're gonna tuck your index finger underneath your jawline, and then your middle finger is gonna go above. So kind of your your jawbone splitting in between your fingers. Whereas with an index finger release, um, you take your knuckle of your index finger, your trigger finger, that's gonna fit right at the base of your earlobe, and then um, your Hopefully the goal is to, uh, have your, your, uh, release point or your caliper or, or back tension release hooks to your D loop in the same spot between the two. If you're, if you're switching back and forth and, uh, whether your, your knuckle be at the corner of your ear or your, um, index finger and middle finger split the jot should be roughly about the
0: same. Okay. So, what happens if you don't have a right index finger? Ooh, um, (laughs) that's
1: a tricky one. (laughs) I haven't come come across that one yet.
0: Do I just give up on bow hunting? Go Uh, to crossbows? No,
1: No, I wouldn't go that far.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so do you hunt with your back tension release then? No,
1: I, I hunt with my my thumb trigger, uh, the knock to it right now, okay um, which I mean, m- some guys do hunt with a, a back tension. Um, it's just the reason I don't is number one, I like to clip my release on the string of my bow and, uh, the, the thumb trigger one's going to be completely enclosed. So it can't fall off. Whereas the back tension one is going to be, there's a little bit of opening on there so it can slide off and can fall around and stuff. Um, another reason is, I have had a couple instances where I was practicing, and um, just not thinking I didn't put my thumb on that safety drawing back, and the arrow just skipped down range because I didn't get the full draw before it went off, obviously. Um, and yeah. I just kinda kind of take the the bonehead errors out of play when I'm
0: hunting because they're gonna happen right so from a accuracy standpoint and how you use releases in your archery game game uh, I guess game bag do most guys use a back tension release just for practice to get rid of target panic and then go to the thumb or the wrist for hunting scenarios yeah but it seems
1: like that's what most guys are doing they're just kind of they're getting that right form and right feeling down with that back tension release and then once they have that down and they're feeling confident with their form they'll start to practice with that index finger thumb release. And then um, ultimately that's going to be what they're taking into the field with them.
0: Okay. Now, how does a guy know that he has the right release for him? I mean, it, cause obviously different people feel more, you know, feel comfortable with different things and that's just life in general. Uh, but how does a guy know he has the right release? Uh, that's that's all gonna come down to your preference and your comfort if you're if
1: the handle is too big on your lease and you're feeling you know kind of awkward at full draw and you're you can't really get comfortable you're you're not gonna have a good shot every time versus um, say you're just comfortable with your wrist release and having your fingers hang off the side and just resting that just your index finger on there and that's what you're comfortable with and you're gonna you're gonna shoot better at that than okay. you know something you don't feel comfortable with
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, any other tips or tricks or, uh, things you want to talk about releases?
1: Uh, I guess I would say just try as many as you can get your hands as hands on as many as you can. Uh, the only thing you want to look out for is, is releases that have trigger travel, uh, whether that be thumb or index finger releases, there's, there's some out there that have trigger travel and you're not going to be able to adjust that out and, I would just say steer clear of that. And When you're setting up a bow, a release isn't the area you want to cheap out on um, as far as you know, setting up someone that isn't too familiar with it. I'd say go um, more expensive on your release and then sacrifice a little bit of money somewhere else.
0: Okay. And what is – you mentioned trigger travel. What is, What is that? How do I know that my release has trigger travel and why is it bad?
1: Yeah, if you can – Take your release and hook it on your bowstring, and just put a little bit of tension on that. If you slowly pull your trigger and you can see that moving uh, before it goes off, that's when you know you have some trigger travel. And what that leads to is is anticipating the shot because you, whether you know it or not, you're going to start to anticipate where that release eventually lets go. If you're if you got trigger travel on that, so that'll lead to punching the trigger a little bit more. Just because you can kind of force yourself to hang on that edge and then when your pin floats across the target you'll want to reach at that and and just set it off right then versus going through uh, your form and everything and and doing the steps and letting that release come naturally
0: so the goal is to have a surprise release right correct yeah okay all right um releases anything else you want to you want to touch on releases
1: um no i think that's that's about it covered everything
0: okay. okay so the next bullet list that we discussed before we started recording was form right i know i have bad form and uh, i had a conversation this was a long time ago with levi morgan and and I, it, obviously he's one of the best archers from a compound standpoint in the world and he told me that you can be good at archery and still have bad form if you practice bad form every day, right? If you're consistent with your bad form, you can still have really good accuracy. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So my my question is, um, how, Im- how important is form? I mean, what does... Obviously it's good, but should you try to always perfect your form or should you just be, you know, if you're doing something consistent over and over and over again, that's okay.
1: I I would say go for the consistency. And I I like to relate this to uh, anyone that golfs and has worked on their golf swing um, can can attest to, you know, not trying to have it 100% perfect, like, you know, not emulating Tiger Woods or not emulating a specific professional golfer because their swing works for them, Um, whereas that same swing might not work for your body type. Um, Whereas you see someone like um, Levi shooting a certain way and you try to shoot exactly like him and, and you're just not getting the performance out of it as you were with how you naturally shoot bow, I would say just go for what feels comfortable and what you can repeat time after time and make a consistent shot every time.
0: Okay. So you work in a bow shop, right? And you see a lot of guys come in and out and you get to see a lot of people draw back and have probably pretty shitty form. What yeah. What yeah. are some of the biggest form no-nos? I mean, if like, like like you said here, consistency is the most important. But if I wanted to work on my form, what are some big red flags that I need to look out for or things I need to work on?
1: I, I mean, a lot of the things I see um, in in an archery shop, uh, one, someone bringing in a bow that isn't fit up or set up exactly for them, whether they're shooting a little bit too long, too short of, of draw length, which can be just as bad as anything, or um, someone trying to draw too much weight uh, where they put a little bit too uh, much much stress on their, their muscles and their joints, and they're not able to, you know, either hold as steady or shoot as long, um, so they're, and a lot of times you'll, you'll see that, um, when guys are drawn and they kind of got to lean back and point their bow up and, and stuff like that, so, I mean, those, those two things are, are some of the, the biggest no-nos, um, another one is, is grip, and there's, I mean, you, you ask 10 guys about grip and, you know, a lot of times you'll get 10 different answers, how you should put your fingers, which way you should twist your wrist, where the grip should be lining up with your um, palm, lifeline, thumb, all that kind of thing. But, um, I mean, most of the time with grips, it's going to be getting in that same position every time and not really gripping that bow handle just to take as much torque out of the shot as you can so you're not really twisting that riser when that arrow goes off and, and throwing any uh, weird inconsistencies on your, your arrow flight.
0: Okay, so specifically on the grip, creating torque, uh, you really don't want, the grip is not, for archery purposes, a grip, we shouldn't grip our grip, if that makes sense, right? Right, yeah. So the only thing you really want to do is rest it on your palm or right in, in between your thumb and index finger, right? Yeah, and it should be kind
1: of kind of more towards the the fattier thumb is where it's going to end up um versus kind of down the middle of your palm. You kind of want to stay uh to the depending on how you're looking at it on your thumb side of your lifeline down the middle of your palm is kind of a a good general starting point.
0: Okay. And that's and that's a general place to you know, as far as good form is concerned, that's where you want to have it every single time.
1: Yep. I mean as long as you're putting your your grip down the same part of your hand every
0: single time, um you're doing better than than most guys are. Okay. Now I have a problem I think with torque only because I every once in a while I notice my strings not necessarily lining up with my cams uh on full draw, right? I always kind of pull my head back. i look at just to see if I'm doing it right. And then I always have to adjust a little bit. Right. And mm-hmm. I try to do that over and over and over again is, does that mean it's form or are you able to change your grip out to, I guess, fix some of those problems? Um, as far as changing, to, like, uh, like, bettering your form. If you change your grip, will you have better form?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's a that's a big way to, I mean, if you look up at your cans and you see your strings kind of coming off at an angle, but you know you have no can lean, I mean, that's a, that's a good uh, telltale factor that something's up with your, your grip, and it's twisting the bow um, one way or the other, um, so your, your string's kind of coming off at an angle. And a lot of times that'll show through paper, Um, say you got your center shot set up, everything's dead on, um, but you're still getting a little bit of tear on there and you kind of notice that your grips kind of twisted one way or the other. I I mean, that's probably going to be the factor that's throwing off your shots and not giving you a good arrow flight.
0: Okay. Now I had a guy tell me once that paper tuning is pointless because he felt that it's okay if the arrow's a little sporadic right out of the gate, as long as it's not sporadic all the way down range, right? So uh, would you agree or disagree with that? I I guess it depends on the scenario.
1: A lot of guys, uh, I I listened to a a few guys that used to shoot target archery back in the 70s and 80s that come into the bow shop, and they said they used to set up their bows, so they were actually the arrow was coming out a little bit sideways or crooked if that makes sense so they were getting a either left or right tear in paper and they wanted that just so their arrow would correct the same exact way every time um but now it kind of seems the trend is is getting your arrow to come off plumb exact every single time mm-hmm. just uh kind of takes another factor out of it because um, once you throw outdoor elements into that like wind um especially uh you kind of kind of have to even a little more guesswork into the mix when your arrow's not coming off exactly, plumb exactly straight every time, uh, versus um, having it come off crooked and and maybe the the wind's going to throw some weird in effect. Um, since since your arrow's not coming off perfect, right?
0: Okay. Now I want to go back to the grip for a second. Mm-hmm. What does having a big fat grip and then some guys like the really skinny ones? What what do those accomplish? um and
1: th- this is another one of those things that comes down to personal preference some uh professional archers you'll see um have a lot of like tennis wrap or something on that on their on their grip so it kind of builds up a lot of uh kind of fatness around there and it's more circular than kind of a square and they're just kind of that that's just kind of how they like to to have their their hands sitting there Um, that, that's kind of their way to, to take the torque out of it. Whereas some people, um, they'll shoot plain off the riser, um, where there's, you know, no wood or rubber grip on there. And they just kind of like, um, how that feels on there. They feel like that thin grip is, is easier to, to take the torque out of. And a lot of times that'll give you feedback too on the shots, like vibration and stuff. Um, and, and I mean, it's that's kind of how I shoot mine. I like kind of a smaller grip. Um, I, I typically don't put a lot of uh, either tennis wrap material or, or tape on there. I'll either leave the stock grip or just shoot off the riser. And I just kind of feel like that thinner grip is is easier for me with smaller hands, anyways, um, to um, get my grip the same exact every time with my hand type, and then take as much torque out of the shot as I can.
0: So you like you like a smaller or bigger? What'd you say? I like a, a thinner grip, smaller. A thinner grip, okay. So you feel that a thinner grip helps prevent uh, torque? Yeah, for, okay. for my shots anyways, For it your does. Shot. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, now, anything else, we're, we're coming up on time here, but anything else uh, from a form standpoint that you see a lot of no-nos or you feel that if someone simply did this, that it would, it would be a better, they'd have better form. Um, I guess, uh, a big thing that a lot of people don't do
1: is, is record their shots. Um, uh,
0: you know, either have
1: a buddy or just set up your phone or, or camera or something on a tripod and watch yourself shoot. Cause you'll, you'll see a lot of things that you don't even know you're doing, whether that be punching the trigger, maybe you, your uh, draw length looks a little too long and you didn't know it, um, or your, say, your front arm, you feel like it's, you know, straight and has that little bit of bend on it, but really it's bent, you know, quite a bit, or it's perfectly straight. And, um, I mean, just, just getting a different view on yourself will will show you a different different angle and, and probably bring out a, a few things you didn't realize you were even doing.
0: Gotcha. What about, like... Where should your feet be? What should your back be doing? Anything like that? Yeah. Um, for, uh, for stance, I like to, well,
1: I'll start uh, perfectly uh, perpendicular to the target and then I'll open my front foot, slide it back probably an inch or two behind my my rear foot and then kind of open it up. And then um, I, I kind of follow John W's, uh form uh, what he tells you, um, and that's uh, to kind of make a T with your body, um, where your back's perfectly in line with your your legs, um, and kind of make a T. And then once you uh, pick your bow up, your arm should be straight out, and uh, I mean, you take a picture of it, your your body; kind of looks perfectly like a T.
0: I got gotcha. you. Okay. Cool. And does that does that same principle apply? from a guy who's on a tiny platform tree stand?
1: Should be. I mean, it'll look a little bit different once you're, you know, you're shooting at angles and stuff. And I mean, the biggest thing you do is shooting at angles. Um, A lot of guys are going to try and bend with their back, which will kind of throw your form off a little bit, um, whether that be your anchor point um, or your, your front arm will change a little bit in shoulder position. Yeah, um, But you, what what you want to do as far as that is bending at your, your hip will kind of keep that posture and keep your anchor point the same.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, uh, we've been talking for about an hour now, and like uh, I always say about this time, I can start hearing my kids uh, yelling and screaming in the next room over, which tells me it's time for them to brush their teeth and go to bed, which tells me that it is time to end this podcast but david man i want to say thanks for the insight i learned a lot today and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast man
1: yeah not a problem dan uh thanks for having me on today
0: and there you have it huge shout out to david for coming on the podcast and talking archery knowledge with us today really appreciate your time and uh good luck with finals i guess that are coming up anyway uh huge shout out to each and every one of you who have taken the time to download this uh episode and give it a listen um i made a couple changes to the format and editing that i do on this podcast and hopefully you can hear that hopefully the sound quality is just a little bit better and the the flow is just a little bit better i can always use some uh advice so if you hear something wrong be sure to get a hold of me Also the partners of this podcast that make it all possible Deer lab, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, wasp Ozonics, Ripcord and Exodus trail cameras be sure to go and visit their websites take a look at their products and remember the couple of these uh, uh, products and companies are giving specific, I guess uh discounts to only the listeners of this podcast. So be sure to listen to each and every podcast because uh there are a handful of great deals that you won't find uh, anywhere else out there. Also, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, and uh, if you guys want to be on the podcast because of a big buck that you killed or a buck or an elk or a sheep or any type of animal, I want to, you know, my goal is not just whitetails. It's all hunting, uh, bow hunting type of themes. Um, If you want to do a product review, if you want to do a bow review, any type of review on any type of product, I'm down for that. If you are listening to this podcast and you are the owner of a company and you want to come on this podcast, send me a message on Facebook or you guys can email me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com i think that's about it Uh, as always go check out the national deer alliance uh, sign up it's free uh, become a member and become educated other than that if you're going to be in a tree hanging a tree stand or doing any type of work be safe and wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend